Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. We want to welcome those of you watching online. Maybe you're watching online later, or maybe you're here at our Keller campus in our video venue. However you're watching, we're so glad that you're here. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Jed. Such a privilege to be part of this team. We are in part two, or week two, of this short little series, God is Love. If you did miss, miss last week, you can go back and watch it. It was pretty powerful. Um, I encourage you to go look at it. And... Uh, I'll refer to it some this week, but here's, here's our basic premise. Here's our idea. We, we were started with this thought. I don't know if you've ever asked this question. What's the greatest thing about God? Some might say, well, his omniscience. He knows everything. Some might say his power. There are a lot of ways that you could answer that. But I believe the Bible makes the case that the greatest thing about God is his love. That God's love is the greatest thing in the entire universe. And in fact, I'd go so far as to say is you and I can't live without that love. In fact, we were created out of his love. He, in his wisdom, he made us in his image. It doesn't matter how old you are or where you look like or where you were born or what your parents were like. Every single one of us, every one of you watching online, were made in the image of God. And because you are made in the image of God, his greatest attribute, his greatest strength is also your greatest need. We need it so bad. We need it so desperately. It doesn't matter how much we accomplish. And it's not like we get it one time and then we're like, okay, I'm good with that. I don't need it anymore. But the great thing is we can grow in our understanding and we can grow in our ability to receive this love and also to give it away. If you brought your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to head back, right back to this place we started with a man named John who is an expert in love. He knows more about it than we do, but he's going to help us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked a little bit about him last week. And, and you know, you, you start talking and thinking about love. I don't know about you. You, you think, well, okay, Jed, are you really breaking new ground here? God is love. It's kind of obvious. And, but when we start thinking about it and how tricky it is and how difficult, we all want so desperately to be loved. We want to love the people in our lives, but it's challenging. I, I don't know if you've ever thought this way, but when I was thinking about love this week, I started thinking about love songs, you know, and I was listening to a podcast that was talking about the highest or the longest reigning number one songs in history. I don't know if you know this, but early on, it was Elvis. He had the number one songs that lasted the longest time. He was surpassed by the Beatles, who were then in turn surpassed by Mariah Carey, and I know for some of you, we're now moving into more your zone. And then Mariah Carey was passed by a group of guys who I hold near and dear, Boys to Men. Now, Boys to Men set the record for the longest, you know, we were in the car the other day listening to it, and, and my son goes, Dad, you got to let us pick the music. I go, why? He goes, you always pick oldies. I go, let me tell you something, son. 80s and 90s are not oldies, right? Like, I guess everybody eventually, everybody's stuff eventually becomes oldies. But Boys to Men used to sing, we've come to the end of the road. Okay, that is a long-reigning love song that's about heartbreak. And really, most of our love songs are really about heartbreak because we're more familiar with heartbreak and heartache than we are with actually lasting love. That's why the Hallmark Channel still exists. It's one movie <laughs> over and over, 
right? Like, if, if you update it and if you look at today's music, like I think of Adele, a lot of people like Adele, ginger sister from another mister. You know, we have solidarity. And um, her most well-known song, you've probably sung it in your car, is I'm going to find someone like you. Not you, but someone like you because you and I didn't work out. It's an agonizing, heartbreak song. You're welcome. It's now in your head. Uh, just don't sing too loud during the message, right? So why? Because we know what it's like to feel heartache. We know what it's like to feel disappointment, to feel the challenges of love, but the Bible helps us. On our way, last week we were talking about John. Most people, if you know one Bible verse, it's John 3.16. John talked about more about love than anybody else. He called himself the disciple Jesus loved. John 3.16, for God so loved. Okay, do you know 1 John 3.16? Because you probably don't, but I think in so many ways it's just as powerful. On our way to 1 John 4, look at 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. We mentioned Foreigner, rock pop band from the 80s last week. They had a song, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Somebody text those brothers because we're about to find out. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, you hear Jesus Christ, you might think Savior, Lord. John, who's writing this, both definitely believes Savior and Lord, as we're going to see. But he also thought friend. He also thought my brother, he also the, thought the person who changed my life, he gave his life willingly. He set the standard. A lot of people think when they think of Jesus, they think of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. But John was not just thinking about the golden rule. John was there on the night Jesus was betrayed when he looked at his disciples and he said, a new command I give to you, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. That's a totally different standard. I don't know about you. I, in my own strength, in my own willpower, in my own ability, I'm not good enough or strong enough or spiritual enough to love people the way that Jesus loves them. I need help, but the good news from God's Word is He's going to help us. I think it's important we also notice there that passage says we ought to love our brothers and sisters. Most Bible scholars will tell you He's not just talking about natural family, which He is, but also believers, the people in the church, the people, here, here's the way you think about it, the people who are closest to us should receive the best of our love. They should receive the best version of us. They should be the ones, not that we take for granted and not that we take out our frustration on, but they should experience the love of God flowing through us into their lives. But listen, I get it. It's hard. We have expectations. We, we struggle with motivation for love, but the good thing is God's going to speak to us in that way. It's just hard. It's Nothing in this area is easy. I know you're watching online. You can relate. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Have you ever said, I love you, on accident? I have. It's awkward, right? Like, uh, in my house, things in the morning, things, you know, a lot of moms wanting to get back to the regular routine. Summer's ending, we're getting back into our regular routine. A lot of commotion in the morning, everybody's leaving, and you're saying, like, you're kissing and hugging and dropping off, and I love you, have a good day. And I don't know how it happened, but I was on the phone not too long ago, and I was ending the call, and maybe because I'd said it a couple times already that day, but I was ending the call, and I go, okay, good talking to you, see you later, I love you. And then I hung it up, and I was like, I think I changed our relationship right there. And I was like, uh, do I call him back and be like, I mean, I love you in like a Christian way, and um, I'm married, sir. And so, he, you know, it's a, you, we try, but all of us want to give love, we want to receive love, and, and, and things are changing in our world. There's, there's just, we, we just like knowing that someone's thinking about us, someone's caring, you know, we, it's just different. 
let's be honest, right? Like the Amazon driver, he's in all of our neighborhoods. He's like the adult ice cream truck. It's like, let's be honest. He's going through the neighborhood. You see him, you're like, ooh, maybe he's bringing me something good. It's like you ordered it and you've been tracking it. You know it's coming, but it shows up at your door and you're like, ooh, somebody thought of me. It was you, but somebody did think of you. But you feel loved when that package comes to your door. You're like, oh, this is nice. He brought me something. You see him. You're smiling. Thank you so much for bringing this delivery. I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. It's like weird. It's like we just want that sense of to know that people care and they see us. But let's be honest, it's hard. We all want to receive love. It's much harder to give love. Culture doesn't help us. Culture says things like, you know, if you just got to think about you, You just got to look, what you really need to be loved and to be understood is your truth and you look inside of you, back to one more song from the 80s, remember Whitney Houston, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. Like, we, we, we like that idea. The problem is if the Bible is right when it says God is love and he's the source of love and this is what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us, loving myself doesn't fit any of those definitions and while it might sound appealing, it has no power to really change me. The only way I can really love myself is when I tell myself what God says about me and what God says about love and that's the way that I love myself but most of us are inclined to that because it challenges us. Which brings us back to 1 John 4. And again, I told you it was a, he's an expert on love, but he's a real guy. I love that about John. I could relate to him. He gave himself a nickname. He, he, he was petty with his friends. He grew. He changed over time. We're seeing him now later in life. Most Bible scholars say when we're reading this letter, 1 John, he, he's much later in his life. All the other disciples have died. He's probably reflecting. He's gotten a little older. He's gotten a little wiser when he was young. I don't know if you ever thought about this. John chapter 20, the very first Easter Mary goes to the tomb, finds out Jesus isn't there. She goes and tells the disciples. Think about this. She tells Peter and John, Jesus isn't at the tomb. John writes in his gospel, we raced to the tomb and I got there first. That's awesome. He's like, if anybody was wondering, I'm faster than Peter. I think maybe in some ways... And God let him put that in the Bible. It's, I love that. There's so many challenges in there. And, and I love the fact John is an adult man. His mom went to Jesus and be like, can my boys get the best seat? You know his friends teased him about that for the rest of his life. But here he is later, wise, a real person trying to figure out what this looks like. Let's look at 1 John 4, starting in verse 11. Look what it says. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I love this. What the Bible's saying, what John's saying is, when God loves us, because God loves us, because that love changes us, because it changes the way we see the world, the natural response to that love is not, oh, this feels so good, God, love me some more. The natural response is, this love that I didn't earn, that I don't deserve, this love that God's given to me, I'm going to in turn give to someone else. I love this, verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What John's saying here is, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, no one can see God, but the way that people see God is when they see your, his love working through the lives of a person that they can see. He goes so far as to say that it's not until that moment that that love is made complete that word complete is another word, another word to, 
complete is made perfect. Some translations made perfect. Another one is that love is finished. It's the Greek word teleo, the exact same word that Jesus prayed in John 17 in the garden on the night he was betrayed. And he looked at his father and he said, I finished the work you gave me. And John says, it's that word, that idea of finished. Love isn't finished. It's not made complete until that love comes in you and through you to the way that you love someone else. That's a big standard. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. I love that little verse. Again, back to this idea, I don't have the strength or the power to, to love people the way God wants me to love them in my own willpower. I don't know if you think about this online. Maybe you were on uh, vacation this summer, which is a great exercise in humility, um, especially when you go with the family and the whole family's together and people get tired and cranky and they just take it out on each other. And it's really expensive too, which is awesome as a dad. You get to pay all this money to go on a trip to find out where your family really is. And you're in your mind, you were creating this incredible moment that everybody would remember forever, and all of a sudden, just for dumb reasons, people are fighting and, 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 you know, taking it out on each other, and you're like, you all should be grateful, and then maybe at some point, you just hit a moment, like, this isn't how I thought it was going to work out, maybe moms, dads, moms, you probably have done this too, and you just can't take it anymore. Somebody says something, and you've had enough, and you're just like, hey, knock it off! Everybody start loving each other, right? Like somehow you're going to yell them into loving each other. But it doesn't work like that. We need the Spirit of God to inspire others to love each other, and that's the only way we receive it. We've seen and testified that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so, I love this, we know and rely on the love God has for us. God wants you to know this love that he has for you. It's not just, oh, God loves you, great, what do I do with that and move on? No, no, not just intellectually in your head, but in your heart, do you know what it means to be loved by God? And not to just know, I love this next part, to rely on that love. Do you have to rely on that love or do you try to rely on your own strength and your own ability to love others? When you rely on that love, it changes the way that you relate to God. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Once again, John's reminding us. He's saying, how do you, want to, how do you know if someone really knows God? Well, you could tell by the way they love other people. He's, one guy said it this way. He said that this letter that John writes is symphonic. He keeps coming back and circling these themes over and over. He wants us to get something. He's irrevocably tying three different concepts together in a way that you can't understand any of them without understanding all of them. And so to summarize this passage before we get practical, I thought I'd just put it in a little Venn diagram. Maybe this will help you. Here's this idea. How is God's love made complete? How is it finished? What does it look like to be mature in this love? Well, you have to start with this first idea that God is love. Love isn't something outside of God. Love's not inside of you. Love's not dig deeper into yourself and you'll find it. No, God is love. He's the standard. Everything that claims to be love, everything that wants to be considered that way has to measure itself against him. That's the first thing you have to start with. You're not the source of love for your spouse. You're not the source of love for your kids. It's God flowing through you. So you start there. Then the next thing is God shows us his love. I love that. God's love doesn't stay in his head. 
It's not unspoken in his heart. God's love was demonstrated when he sent his most prized thing in the world, his son. He sent his son to come and to live and to die in our place. And not just to die in our place, but to invite us to a life in him. A life we couldn't manufacture on its own. God didn't just say he loved us. He showed us he loved us. Sometimes we say, well, well, this is how I want to be loved. God says, this is how I love, and this is the way that you receive my love. And he knows what we need better than we do. And then the final one is we give that love to others. And it's only when all three of those overlap, you get that little orange area. That's what it means to be complete or mature, because here's why. If it's just God is love, we just go, okay, God, it's all about you helping me, and I want you to love me. But then you go, no, no, God showed his love in how he sent his son. We might think, well, okay, well, the purpose of his love is is for me to have a relationship with Jesus so that when I die, I won't go to hell, I'll go to heaven. It's so much bigger than that. There's a whole life he invites you into. And then that last piece, because let's be honest, we all, just left to our nature, we all would just like to keep that relationship. God loves me. He, he sent Jesus for me. He answers my prayer. But he says, guys, I don't want you to stay in that place. It makes you selfish. It makes you self-absorbed. It makes you interpret everything in the world as how it only affects you. I want you to grow like I grow into love where that love is not just about you. It's about loving others. It's so much easier. You, you guys all get excited. Let's talk about how much God loves me. And you're like, yeah, let's talk about how we then love others. We're like, well, we'll take less of that, but okay if we have to, right? Like, We all wrestle with that. So how does it work? How do we actually give God's love to others? I want to get practical before I pray for you. Well, the first thing is this. We love so others can see God. We love so others can see God. This speaks to our motivation. Remember what verse 12 said. It says this, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. His love's made complete in us. 1 John uh, 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Now, for us to love the way that God wants us to love, it's beyond what's our natural approach. Our natural approach is reciprocal, especially with our family, especially with our spouse, with our kids. We think, okay, I'm going to love them, or I'm going to love my friend, or I'm going to love this person at work when they love me. Or I'm going to love them, so when I love them, my hope is, when I love them, here's how I want them to respond. You say, do you do that? We all do that. I know, listen, it's hard for us to admit, but our motivation is usually we want to be recognized, we want to be loved in return. You ever plan something big for a spouse or a kid? And you're like, man, this is going to be awesome. When they see what I did for them, I went, and I went to the greatest length to do something great, and in your mind, you start imagining what's going to happen when they receive it, right? Like, I remember when my daughter was little, and, and I, I, she was like maybe two, and I was like, I'm going to build her the greatest kitchen she's ever seen, because that's what she wanted, and she's going to be blown away, she's going to start crying, and, and so I had this whole plan, I was like, I'm going to blow her away, I'm going to leave it in a box, rookie move, so I left it in the box. Christmas morning, she goes, Dad, this is the greatest thing ever. You're the greatest daddy ever. I was like, yeah. She's like, when can I play with it? I was like, get back with me in about four hours because I had to build it. But, but what, what I was doing was I wanted her to say, Dad, you're the greatest dad ever. I do something for my spouse. You're the most amazing husband ever. But really, that's about us. What God's saying is when you're mature, what you really want is not for someone to go, look how loving you are, but for them to go, I can't believe how loving God is. See, when we make it about us, we give that love based on what we receive in return. When it's out of our love for God, 
We're endless. We're freed up. There's a river of love that we could never compete with that continues to flow in us. And we're free to love people no matter what they do in return. And the great thing is, you guys, this is not a corrective word for the people of Milestone because you're already doing it. But I want to remind you how incredible it is. We hear story after story. I heard about a couple guys last week. There was a guy who wanted to come to church. He wasn't even able to make it. So he sent. He said, could someone come get me? They got him. He got prayed for. He got to worship. He got to be with the people of God. He, he left so encouraged. I heard about a small group, and one of the people was in the hospital, and they took care of their kids, and they did a meal plan, and they kept visiting and showing up and praying, and the nurses were like, who are these people, and where did you find them? I was at 101 not long ago, and I met this young couple from the Pacific Northwest, Chris and Laura. It's like, how long have you been coming to Milestone? They're like, this is our first weekend. I was like, how'd, how'd you end up at 101? They're like, well, we, we just moved from the Northwest and we bought a house without ever even seeing it. We bought it online. And, and so when we got to the house, the neighbors came over and said, welcome to the neighborhood. We're glad you're here and come over for dinner. And then they said, well, do you need a lawnmower? And they're like, sure. And then they said, well, do you want to come to church tomorrow? And they're like, okay. And they're like, and that was yesterday. And I was like, wow, that's fast. <laughs> and they said, this is amazing. Listen to this. They said, we, we already had a relationship with God. We were nervous about this transition, about this move. But when all those things happened, I was like, you went fast. They're like, "How? Well, of course we went fast. Isn't God amazing? He loves us so much and he saw this transition. And so not only did he provide this house in a difficult market, he gave us a house, but then he put people next to us to show the love. They, they said, God's love is incredible. That's the way it's supposed to work. You hear that and you think, oh, that's exhausting. Who could live that way? Who has the energy to do that? And that's the way we think about it. But when you actually do it, you realize God's so generous. Not only do they receive love, you receive love when you participate in giving his love so others can experience it. Here's the second way we, we give God's love to others. We love with action. 1 John 3.18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. This may not come as a surprise to you. It's easier for me to love with words than it is with action. But, but you know, my wife, she, she's not really into the words. I'm like, honey, I'm kind of good at words. It works out great. I give you the word. She's like, no, no, no. I receive love when you do stuff. So if you really love me, Lance Romance, why don't you go wash a dish? I was like, <laughs> it's kind of beneath my loving ability to, no. So that's what I have to actually do that. Because what you realize is if you really want to love someone, you don't just love them in the way that you like to give it. You love them in the way that they receive it. And you think about, okay, this is not about my words. Even in words, I have a writing background. And in writing, one of the first things they tell you is show, don't tell. If, you want to, if you're telling a story, don't say that the character is courageous. Put them in a situation where they show courage and everybody goes, wow, I get it. And I'm connected to that character in the same way. It's not that words aren't important. But words have to be coupled and they have to be combined with our actions. You're like, how does this work practically? And I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list, but here's a few. I already gave you one of them. Here's a few ways we put love into action. The first is we, we understand love always costs us something. It always costs. Love costs God a lot. It costs him his son. So love costs time and emotional energy and it costs emotional risk. You have to put yourself out there. You have to make yourself vulnerable. A lot of times you're the one that you say it first and you act it first and you demonstrate and you may never get it back. But if you're really loving and you're really loving with action, that's okay because you didn't do it for how they would respond. You did it because you're obeying God. And when you love that way, people experience something different. Love is always generous. 
Like I said, it's given without the expectation of return. If God is love and God, everything God does is generous, then if we're going to grow and become more mature, there's no way we can grow and, and become more mature and become more loving without also becoming more generous. And that's easier for some of us than, with other, than, than for others. But that generosity says so much. Love is never convenient. It has to be planned. It takes intentionality. It takes thought. It takes attention. You know, you, you know someone who's really good at giving gifts because they don't just think in the second, they don't go, uh-oh, that birthday's coming up next week, I better do something, because we all do the same thing. We always go back to gift card. But, but if you're paying attention, and you're listening, and you're thinking, and there's a thoughtfulness, and that thoughtfulness and the intentionality becomes as much a demonstration of the love as the gift itself, and we all want that. And then finally, the last one is love them in the way they receive it, not the way they, not the way that you give it. And this is true of spouses. It's true of siblings. It's true of kids with parents and parents with kids for sure. When your kids are little, it's pretty easy, right, to make them happy, let them stay up later and give them some candy, some sugar, maybe go buy them a toy. As they get older, it gets more complicated and more expensive. You know, remember as a parent of young kids, what did you do every night? You're like, I can't wait till bedtime. How much longer? And then you get them down and then you and your wife or, or you and your husband get a moment of quiet and you get to rest and relax and then they grow up. And you're trying to go to bed and teenagers and young adult kids, you're trying to go to bed and they're just getting stirred up. And now they're wanting to talk and spend time with you. My son the other day goes, hey dad, let's start a movie. It was 12 o'clock. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, let's do it. And you think, oh man. And it's amazing how though, here's the thing that's so incredible. It's amazing how when you listen and respond, you might think it's not that big of a deal, but they go, man, that meant so much to me that you did that, that you cared about what I cared about. I know you don't even like this, but because you did it with me, I received that love. We have to love with action. And then here's the last one. We love with truth. Now, I know there's a bunch of you in the room who are like, yes, we've been waiting for this one because I got a lot of truth and a lot of love to give a lot of people. Now, let me just say... Before I give you a badge, I understand this because I'm one of you, right? Like, we, we know the Bible says that you speak the truth in love, and we like that, and we like that idea, and we can get so caught up in making everything right. And, and when we were first married, that was one of the worst moves I made. You see, like, in another life, I could have been a trial attorney, and I could have thought about how to build arguments and cases. I know this is true because I used to do it a lot, and I would practice on my wife, which really was not a great strategy. If you've ever done that, I don't recommend it. Here's how it would work. We'd have a discussion, some might say argument, and um, I would go from that, and then I would gather up my notes, and I would come up with a, uh, a rebuttal. And I would have a three-point rebuttal, and the amazing part was I wouldn't just rebuttal her arguments I would anticipate her next objections and rebuttal those too. And so I'd come back to her and I'd say, okay, here's why I was right, and then here's what you're going to say, but here's why I'm still right. And she would be like, what is wrong with you? And then she would say, okay, you're right, but I don't like you. And I would go, that didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to happen. I thought she would be like, you win, what else do you want me to say? Like, it didn't work that way. And I think sometimes when we hear love and truth, that's subtly what we think. We think like, okay, I am now have a responsibility and an opportunity to go tell everybody else who's wrong what is right. And it's not, it's really, let's be honest, it's never received well. Can I just give you permission with something? Because the way we're doing life right now especially sets people up who are wired this way to fail. And let me just say this. You don't have a responsibility. There's no need 
There's no responsibility. There's no reason, really, for you to comment and respond on everything that's happening in the world. Because here's the thing. We think somehow if, I could just, if they could just hear it from me and they could just hear the truth, then they would change. Even if they would go, you're right, most people aren't going to change on the basis of that. It takes more than that. I was actually reading a book not long ago. The name of the book was The Genius Zone. Interesting book written by a guy named Guy Hendricks. You don't have to read the book. I'll just save it to you if you want to know how to be a genius. He had a really insightful thought. Really, the whole book is this one thought. And he said, if you want to be a genius, all you really have to do is this one thing. And he said, because almost everyone in our world fails at it, and it's so difficult. In fact, it's one of the leading causes of despair and, and, and why we're all struggling with mental health. He said the thing that everybody is doing that they can't stop doing that's keeping them from the best version of themselves is they spend all of their time and energy thinking and worrying about things they have no ability to change. I don't know about you, that hit me right between the eyes. It's so easy to worry and to get anxious and to be afraid and to be frustrated about things that haven't happened and may not happen. And I may not even have any ability to change that outcome. You're like, Jed, what does this have to do with truth? Because here's what I think happens. We end up thinking that loving people in truth is this responsibility to have the right answer about everything, and that's not what it means. Here's why this is so dangerous. When you spend all your time trying to solve everybody else's problems out there who, by the way, aren't even listening to you, you end up with no energy and no emotion and no margin to actually love the people right here who, if they felt the love from you with the truth of God, they actually would change. We spend all of our energy chasing something we can't fix, and then we lose out in those areas where we need it most. I've been growing. I've been trying to grow in this area. I think all of us can grow and can change in this area. Let me, let me just explain something to you. Loving people in truth doesn't mean that you agree with them all the time. But it does mean that you commit to continue to have a relationship and that you continue to be there. In all my years of ministry and working with people and even in my own life, in work environments and family environments, I've found a situation that we all are in. I would, I would bet that this weekend, every person that I'm talking to, you're either in one or you're about to be in one. You probably have never heard it referred to this way, but I'm sure you're going to be able to relate. And it's one of the most challenging ways for us to love people. My counselor called it the drama dance. Some people call it triangulation. Some people call it a drama triangle. But, but here's how it works. They happen at work. They happen in friend groups. They happen with families. You start with a person who is perceived, and again, this is important I say perceived, because this is perceived verbal. This is not serious physical or, or other kinds of abuse that are really damaging. But you start with an abuser. So say you're at your workplace and your friend comes to you and your friend feels like a victim because they're abuser. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody on the team. And they say, this person is terrible. They take credit for stuff they didn't do. They're always blaming me for stuff. They're difficult. They tried to steal my idea. They did this. They did that. Here's why. They always, they never. And this person is coming to you because they know you care about them and you're a sensitive ear. And so they're coming to you hoping that you'll listen and you'll be like, that's terrible. And how could they do that to you? And it's so wrong. And we need to do something about this and we need to help. And so now this is the key moment in all of the whole situation. The triangle, the dance, all comes down to this person who's, who's then given the opportunity to become the rescuer. Now, I've got to say, all of us deep down in us have this idea. We like to be the rescuer for people we care about, for friends, for people we like 
at work. We want to rescue them because it feels good to be the rescuer. But the rescuer really has two choices. They can either escalate the situation or they can de-escalate the situation. To escalate the situation is they get so mad they take the offense of their friend on and maybe they go to the boss or maybe they go to somebody else or they go to whoever the perceived abuser was and they go, how dare you do this and why didn't you do that? You need to recognize how great they are. You should be promoting them, not challenging them. And then now that initial abuser can feel like, now I feel like I'm a victim. And then they go tell somebody else and that circle just begins to spread and now everyone's dancing and all the dysfunction is happening. But that person there who's invited to be the rescuer could also de-escalate the situation and go to their friend and say, well, maybe you misunderstood, and, and how do you know that's what they meant? And how do you know it wasn't just a miscommunication? How do you know it wasn't something that didn't have anything to do with you? You were just the unfortunate recipient of their frustration about something that had nothing to do with you at all. And in that moment, you could actually de-escalate the situation. Because what I found happens is if we escalate the roles just keep switching. Abusers become victims, and victims become rescuers, and rescuers become abusers, and we all just keep dancing in this dysfunctional way that makes our workplace toxic and makes us feel weird all the time and makes things unhealthy. And you probably have figured out by now, we're not just talking about the workplace, we're talking about the home as well. It's like musical chairs. As long as the music keeps playing, people feel left out, everyone keeps moving, and it's all dysfunctional. Talk about creating anxiety in kids. Like, let's create a game where they learn there's not enough seats for everyone, and when the music stops, you're out. But we do it. But back to our families. We've been trying and growing, and I've been trying to get better in this situation. And this is not just theory. This is real life. I'm sure all of you can relate to this in one way or the other. This happened in our home not too long ago, and we're growing as a family. We haven't figured it out. We're not perfect, but my younger son came to me, and he said, Dad, he said, I don't know if you heard us, but my brother and I were just having an altercation. I said, yeah, it sounded like a couple elephants crashing into each other. I heard you. I'm aware. I'm up to speed. What's going on? He said, Dad, I just can't take it anymore. I just know my brother, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's always on me. He's always mad at me. In fact, here's what I know. He never wanted me as a brother. I said, wow, son, that, that's a pretty big statement. How do you know that's true? He said, I just know it. He never wanted me. He doesn't love me. We always fight. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, I said to him, son, I was like, are, are you sure? I, I think you guys may fight. You may have challenges, but I know he loves you, and, and I know something you don't know. Before you were ever even born, he prayed for you, and he cares about you. And he may not always show it the right way. I said, son, in fact, just sit in this chair. Wait just a moment. I, I did a dad move. I didn't know if it was going to work. It could have totally backfired, but, but I felt like God said, go get him. And so I got his older brother, and I had him sit down, and I said, tell him what you just told me. And he looked at him and said, I feel like you don't love me. You don't care about me. You never wanted me as a brother. I, I know how that feels as a younger brother. I, I can understand. Those feelings to him in that moment were real. And his older brother said, listen, you drive me crazy, and you're annoying, and we fight, but it doesn't mean I don't love you, and I care about you, and I'm always going to be your brother, and I'm committed to love you, and, and when you tell me how you feel, I'll tell you, and we'll trust that God somehow will help us. 
And I gotta tell you, it's not perfect. It doesn't solve everything. But in a moment like that, you understand it's not about you as a dad or as a manager, as a boss, figuring out how to diffuse a situation. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You need the Spirit of God. But when God comes into the situation and says, when you receive my love, not of what someone will do in return, but when you love others out of my love for you, everything changes. Every one of us is in a situation like this. Every one of us can be tempted to be a rescuer. Every one of us can feel like a victim or an abuser, but every one of us are invited by a loving God to live a different way. We can allow His love to be the thing that guides our relationships. And let me promise you, it's not perfect, and it doesn't mean there won't be challenges, but it changes everything. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so grateful for Your love. God, I'm thankful that your love is so great and so generous that it doesn't just change us, it changes how we relate to and love others. God, I'm praying for every person here that not only would we receive your love, not only would your love change our lives, but your love would change and guide and influence those relationships, even the difficult ones, even the ones where we feel like we've tried it over and over again and we don't know what to do. Lord, I pray that we would focus on only what we could control, loving with action, loving so others would see God, not for what they could do in return, and loving with truth. God, we thank you for the way that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.